If you have your Bibles, go ahead and be finding your place in Isaiah chapter 53. We're glad to have Tyson back this evening as he had the opportunity to bring the Word of God to a sister church across town. And Tyson, just give us an update. Tell us how the Lord used you, if you don't mind. And just like I did to Jason this morning, he had no idea I'm doing that either. So come ahead and just, or yeah, step up. So hey, church, uh, thank you for allowing me to, to uh, go and visit this sister church. It's uh, Ponder's Gap down in the Midway area, which Isaiah Ruffner is the pastor. Many of you know him. Uh, he had asked me to come down while he's away on vacation. And I'll tell you, the Lord just blessed us this morning. We had a wonderful service. There are really sweet people down there. I brought the word out of 1 Peter. And you can just imagine the, the love of a church that's really small. I'm, some of you have been in churches that are really small, but they just... They love just like us, and it was just, it was amazing to go in. I, I led music with them and then brought the word. That It was just an amazing time. So thank you for letting me go and represent Grace Community Church out in our community at a different church. Thank you, Pastor. Absolutely. Well, again, if you'll find your place in the book of Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 53, and tonight we're going to focus our attention as we've been going through this marvelous text, verse by verse. We're going to bring our attention tonight to uh, verse number nine, verse number nine. So if you'll find your place, Isaiah 53 and verse number nine. And the word of God reads, And they made his grave with the wicked, but with the rich at his death. Because he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth. And this is the word of God. Previously, we're in a little a section here in Isaiah 53 that we're entitling the silent servant, the silent servant. And we've looked at it in verses 7, 8, and 9. And so just to kind of bring an on-ramp to the, the sermon this evening, verse 7, as we look back, just two verses, verse 7 describes the servant's life of obedience, his perfect obedience. Verse 7 tells us about this servant. He was oppressed and afflicted, and yet he opened not his mouth. He was led as a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before its shearers is silent. So he also would not, did not open his mouth. So in verse 7, we saw and continue to see this perfect obedience of this coming servant. Here in verse 8, we observe as well the future prophecy of his mistreatment at the hands of wicked men by his own people. And that is described there in verse 8 as he was taken from prison and from judgment. And then verse 9, this evening, we'll be looking for a few moments at his burial, the prophecy of his burial. And tonight we'll frame our thoughts around two succinct points. Number one, the schemes of wicked man. The schemes of wicked man. And secondly, God's divine plan fulfilled. God's divine plan fulfilled. Number one, the schemes of wicked man. As we look here at verse 9, this verse that prophesies that his death will proceed in a certain way. He was, in verse 9, and they made his grave with the wicked. This verse tells us about the design of the Jewish people to give the servant the most dishonorable death that they could come up with. When you study Jewish history, for example, Jeremiah 25:33 is a reference. The text tells us those slain by the Lord on that day will be from one end of the earth to the other, in the sense of they will be scattered. The, the, the birds and animals and vermin will eat them apart and their flesh will be scattered. They will not be lamented over. They will not be gathered or buried. They will be like dung on the face of the ground. 
When the Jews desired to show dishonor and shame to someone that they felt was a wicked man, oftentimes, regardless of his public execution, they would not give him the honor of a decent burial. Here in this text, we see in Jeremiah 25, 33, that those slain by the Lord at times, this was certainly the case. So this was in the Jewish thinking and, and in mindset. In verse 9, again, he, he made his grave, notice there, with the wicked. I want to remind us, this is written and prophesied, as we say again and again, 700 years before the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. As we look at this and consider this, it points us to God's superintending providence to fulfill each one of these prophecies. Notice there the emphasis on the wicked, those who are very wicked, those who are criminals. He will be buried with them. He will die in his death with them. In other words, these are those who have been tried and found guilty. Luke chapter 23 verse 32 gives further explanation on the fulfillment of this as we think about those that Jesus was, was buried around, as was read earlier in the, in the scripture reading. There were two others, criminals, led with him to be put to death. Then that passage, we see that they were described as malefactors or criminals. Verse 39 of that passage, Luke 23. Then one of the criminals who hanged with him blasphemed him, saying, If you are the Christ, save yourself in us. We see this prophecy in one sense fulfilled in how Jesus is ordered with the wicked, the innocent lamb of glory, being condemned to die, the death of the wicked at the hands of evil men. And isn't it just like our sovereign God to save, to exercise his sovereignty in the very last moments of Jesus's earthly life and ministry? And again, to save one of those very real wicked men, malefactors, hanging with Jesus. So verse, uh, Luke chapter 23, verse 32, reminds us and affirms what Isaiah is saying here in this prophecy in verse 9 of Isaiah 53. Even these wicked men recognize who this servant is, this Son of God. One of them saying, Lord, have mercy upon me. And Jesus gives him the promise that today you will be with me in paradise. Verse 9 prophesies here in Isaiah 53 that when Jesus would die, he dies with the wicked. And we know that Jesus is this servant that is prophesied. And I'll say that. I know I'm teaching to the choir this evening, but not everyone believes that. Jews will, as by and large today, if you know a Jew or a practicing Jew, they will ignore Isaiah 53. They do not recognize Isaiah 53 in the truth that it holds. And those who study it, with a heart-seeking God, many times do come to faith in Christ because it's incontrovertible, as we see in the Word of God. We see here, verse 9, they made, this, this emphasis on those, they made, they appointed, was given, is another way to render this word, they, they made to him. And so this idea is, is that they have given him, this is their plan for this servant who would come. Now, we understand that men have their designs all throughout the Scripture. Men have their wicked plans. They have their purposes. They have goals, all that they intend to pursue. But here in this text, we see the classic divide of the intention of man, particularly fallen man, and the purposes of God. Here we see the classic understanding of what men purpose to do in their wickedness 
and yet they have not sought God, as James tells us to do in James chapter 4 and James chapter 5. You know that passage well, where if those who say we'll go into such and such a city, they boast in their arrogance, they have not sought the Lord or His wisdom. And James tells us that, that type of boasting, that type of thinking is, is wicked and evil. Amongst many things, what we see the Jews performing here is wickedness and evil, but namely in that they did not even seek God in His plans and purposes in this dealing with Jesus the Messiah. The Bible is very clear that men may propose their plans, but all plans are subject to the Father's will. And I just want to drive this point home, so I hope you'll listen carefully. Psalm 33 verse 10, the Lord brings the counsel of the nations to nothing. He makes the plans of people of no effect. Well, I just don't know if I agree with that, uh, Legrand. Friends, we must bow to Scripture. And oftentimes as we think about not only the Lord's superintending of a prophecy given in Isaiah 53, 700 years before the coming of Christ, but friends, this has very real implications on our world today. As you read the news, as you listen to the news, take great comfort in your sovereign God. And know that God raises up kings and takes down kings. And all of our normal, natural distresses of life and concern about what is taking place in this wicked, wicked world. We understand that. It's normal to feel those things, but always come back to the rock of your sovereign God, knowing that He is in complete control of the nations. Proverbs 19, verse 21, There are many plans in a man's heart. Nevertheless, the Lord's counsel, that will stand. That will stand. Proverbs 16, verse 9, a man's heart plans his way, just like these men in the crucifixion of Jesus and how they handled it. Their purpose is what they would do with his body. A man's heart plans his way, but the Lord directs and guides his steps. How does God do this, we could ask? And what we find here is that God uses means. God uses men as well. And we're going to find at the second point tonight, that's exactly what God does he superintends, he fulfills his plans and his purposes by using and raising up men who fear him, men who love him, and bringing about his purposes and his will. Verse 9 tells us, And they made his grave with the wicked, but with the rich at his death. And admittedly, the sentence construction here may be confusing to some as, as you read it, the tenses and the understanding of what, what is taking place. I want to try to clarify that just a little bit. But they made the grave, his grave with the wicked, but with the rich at his death. This word at is used in several different ways in Scripture, and it helps us to understand what is being said here. It can also mean after or within a certain frame of time period. Verse 9, you can say it like this. He was buried with the rich within or after his, his death. So here, wicked men determined to give him a dishonorable burial. But after he has died, or in the state of death, men have purposed to treat him in a certain way. Isaiah 16, verse 14 gives clarity on this. So, for example, this is the word which the Lord has spoken concerning Moab since that time. What is that? But now the Lord has spoken, saying, Within three years, as the years of a hired man, the glory of Moab will be despised. So that framework, that within, a period, means within or at. So it's a reference to a time period. And so in our text in verse 9, we see that it's not referencing the last breaths of Jesus, but a state 
of death. It's literally the state of being dead. And when this takes place, we will see God move and work and give His servant an honorable burial. And that's exactly what God does. God honors His servant. God gave His servant a respectable and honorable burial. I'm not going to go too far this direction, but church, we cannot act like the Bible does not speak to how we perform end-of-life ceremonies. And I'm not going to give you a list of commands. I'm not going to go into great detail, but I do have thoughts and opinions on it. But I just want to put the emphasis on just looking at how the Father superintends the care of His Son. We cannot overlook it. We cannot be glib about it. We see that God the Father certainly cares about how His Son is laid to rest. And yes, guess what? Does God know that His Son is going to be resurrected in just a few days? Absolutely. Absolutely. But it matters. The Holy Spirit wants us to know these, these very specific details. This comforts our heart, friends. God cares about your life and my life. We have a sovereign God who has not only the desire, but there's a big difference here, but the ability to carry out His perfect will. If you don't believe that, then we have no hope. I don't know how Christians, <laughs> I don't know how Christians live in a world where they, they cannot trust their God. Uh, listen, we can't pray to a God if He can't do anything about our prayers, right? And so we have confidence when we go before the throne of grace, knowing that God the Father has proven Himself as we look into the Scriptures in these ways, and it strengthens our faith. So the, the schemes of wicked men are made clear, and we see that also in the Gospel. Secondly, God's divine plan fulfilled. Here in verse 9, And they made his grave with the wicked, but with the rich at or within in his state of death. What does that mean? Well, if you don't mind, turn with me to Matthew 27, verse 57. And while some of you, you know this, you've heard this, there are many who, who have not. Particularly, there are some in, in this room, this will be the first time they, they make these connections or see this. So thank you for your love for the Scriptures and your patience. Matthew chapter 27 and verse 57. We see God's divine plan fulfilled. Now how God uses men is always an interesting thing. This morning we looked at James, the son of Zebedee. And we also referenced a cross-reference where James and John sent their mother Salome. So Salome and Zebedee are husband and wife. They sent Salome to go and ask Jesus the question. Well, I just want you to know, Salome is not this, this random woman who comes to start talking to Jesus. She is the wife of the very influential Zebedee. And many believe, scholars believe, that she personally, uh, in, uh, she personally helped support the ministry of Jesus. And the point I want to say this is that God raises up people to fulfill His purposes. We see that all throughout Jesus' ministry. We could point to Mary and Martha and Lazarus there, and they're opening up their home. We can see Peter. The Scriptures tells us opens up his home. That was Jesus' uh, base camp, if you will, of sorts. Uh, back in, We studied that in Matthew's Gospel. But here we see at just the proper time, God raises up a man, a man who has means and resources. And you say, well, LeGrand, why do you emphasize that? Because it's, it's important. Oftentimes we see that we, we see the great contrast of those who had very little or nothing. We see the, the woman who came and poured her alabaster box out upon the feet of Jesus. And what we understand about that text is that, that it speaks of her great reverence for Christ. She had very little, and yet she pours all of it out for the Lord. Well, here we see the other end of the spectrum. We see a man who has much and how he uses his resources. He's being used of God to fulfill God's plan. 
Here in this text, Matthew 27, 57, when it was evening, there came a rich man. And that's what the Holy Spirit wants us to know. He tells us this. A rich man from Arimathea named Joseph, who himself had also, notice, became a disciple of Jesus. Here we begin to see a great transition from those who are public disciples and those who now is the time to step up. Those who've been listening, those who've witnessed, and yet they've been somewhat afraid to come out into the open. But now is the proper time. Here Joseph of Arimathea has become a disciple. Verse 58, this man went to Pilate and he asked for the body of Jesus. Then Pilate ordered it to be given to him. Here we see in this passage exactly what Proverbs was talking about as we looked at those references. There is an intent of wicked man's heart, but then we see God's purposes fulfilled. Pilate didn't know what he was doing. Pilate had no clue what he was thinking. What I mean is that he didn't think that through. He wasn't thinking through the repercussions of giving the body of Jesus to these godly men who desired to take care of it in a proper way. This is the hand of God. This is the work of the Lord in these individuals. Verse 59, And Joseph then took the body, and he wrapped it in clean linen cloth, and he laid it in his own tomb, which he had hewn in the rock. And he rolled a large stone against the entrance of the tomb, and he went away. Turn with me now to John 19, verse 38. This is a similar portion, but gives us a little bit more detail. John 19, verse 38. The Word of God says, And after these things, Joseph of Arimathea, being a disciple of Jesus, but a secret one, for fear of the Jews, notice the detail given to us, asked Pilate that he might take the body of Jesus. And Pilate granted permission. So he came and he took away his body. Now notice who enters into the scene. This is one of my favorite texts, verse 39. Nicodemus, who had first come to him by night. Remember, this is John's Gospel. John chapter 3, the famous chapter on salvation, the new birth, you must be born again. That same Nicodemus, who at first came to him, Jesus by night, comes with Joseph of Arimathea. You can only imagine, both of these men are powerful. Nicodemus is a leader of the Jews there. They come and they're ready to take up their cross and to follow Christ. Nicodemus comes and bringing a mixture of myrrh, and aloes, about a hundred pounds of weight. So they took the body of Jesus and bound it in linen wrappings with the spices, as is the burial custom of the Jews. Now in the place where he was crucified there was a garden, and in the garden a new tomb in which no one had yet been laid, and that is important. That's what was prophesied, that he would be buried in a tomb that had not been used. Therefore, verse 42, because of the Jewish day of preparation, since the tomb was nearby, they laid Jesus there. Friends, in Isaiah chapter 53, verse 9, we see the wicked, evil intent of men to dishonor, to shame our glorious Christ. And then we also see our sovereign God's purposes and plans prophesied, one of hundreds of prophecies, and fulfilled in the gospel records. I hope you find your faith strengthened as we look at this passage as we reflect upon the finished work of Christ. I pray the Holy Spirit will take your heart and examine it and ask of you what you may do for your Lord and Master as well as he lives and reigns at the right hand of the throne of God. Lord, use us. Lord, use me. As we saw Isaiah this morning, here am I, O God. 
uh, send me. May the Lord do that gracious work in our hearts. Let's pray together. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we love you and we thank you for your truth. And as we have looked at this verse, we thank you for its profound impact upon our faith. Father, how we can look into the Old Testament record and see how your purposes and plans were outlined in great detail. And Father, how you and your all-powerfulness brought it to pass. Father, thank you for being God. Thank you for being our God. We love you. We reverence you. Lord, thank you for becoming our Father through Christ. Lord, that you have adopted us because of the finished work of your Son. Father, you've adopted us as sons and daughters. You've displayed us as trophies of your grace. You've poured out your lavish grace upon us. Father, you had mercy upon us and you showed us our wickedness and our sin, our natural state. Father, that doctrine that men hate and despise, we cherish. We cherish the doctrine of sin and the doctrine of depravity because it's what gives us awakening. It shows us that we need salvation. And thank you for that salvation that is found in Christ our Lord. It's in the precious Christ, the name of Christ we pray. Amen.